Welcome to Mixed Company. Bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Mixed Company. Hey. Hey, what's up? <laughs> What Simeon said was, it's episode, and I'm assuming you were about to say 17? No, I was just going to say, hey, what's up? <laughs> oh, hey, what's up? So for the record, Simeon is out here in these streets about to die from all the pneumonias. Um, so he barely has a voice, um, which is totally fine. I'm not reveling in it. I'm not totally making fun of him. But friend, I hate to see you like this. But I am so entertained. I am. Oh, you have your M and M's and your tea and. The hell you need M and M's for if you say? Because it's Sim. He has to have his candy. Oh. And honey. And popcorn. That's a weird mix. Man, we are here, episode seventeen. We've made it. This is our. I guess it's not really a season finale, right? But it's definitely. Um, our break is our last episode before we go do. <laughs> Santa's out. It's definitely our last episode before we go do all the family things and start reflecting on the year ahead. So we're here. Oh, reflection. Oh. Anyway, so we have a lovely guest today, um, Dr. Amber Shanavert. Um, she's an assistant assistant professor of marketing at the Peter J. Tobin College of Business at St. John's University here in New York City. Um, Dr. Shanover is a professionally trained brand strategist who considers her knack for marketplace storytelling an asset to her current research. Her current working papers involve understanding how consumers, marketers, advertisers, and other media decision makers inform consumption under both the business-to-business -business and business-to-consumer conditions. Dr. Shanover holds a PhD in advertising from the University of Texas at Austin. Like Ooh. a boss. Like a boss. <laughs> While the rest of us are out here, like, does it even, does it make sense to get the certificate? You went all the way. All the way. I you were going to do the horns. No, I did. Do -do. All the school. <laughs> yeah, I did all the school. I'm an Aggies fan, but I, I'll show love because it's uh, still Texas. Oh, I mean, okay. it's all family loyalty. But right. You know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Please Just continue. There's, there's more. Then there's more. <laughs> and a master's in advertising from Syracuse University. Go orange. And a BS in uh, marketing from Hampton University. HU, the real HU uh, oh, for ooh. anyone who might ooh. be wondering. Let me continue. Let me continue. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Shannon's well. research consider how managers' beliefs and perceptions influence B2B and B2C in search insights, relationships, as well as marketplace diversity and inclusion. You do yeah. a lot. You're kind of yeah. in these streets, like, muscling, like, all the advertising <laughs> things of the world. Kudos. Thank you. I try. I really make an effort. Hey, Man, thank you for having me. Here. I'm glad to really, be here. It's a really, big effort. <laughs> it, is about, it is a really big effort. Yeah, and your key topic areas as it relates to Marketplace DNI involve marketing management, relationship marketing, in and out group dynamics. And right. new business development. Right. Shout Thank out to you. anybody so that needs a <laughs> that needs a strategist and has the budget for it. <laughs> we'll leave some contact information for you. Right. Thanks. Yes. I'm open to consulting. 
Um, so uh, to talk more about that, can you explain like with your consulting and how your academic background has helped your consulting, I should say? Um, <clears throat> well, um, as you so astutely hey. discussed, <laughs> yes, um, I started working in advertising in 2003, um, right after I got my master's. I um, started in account management and then went to Miami Ad School boot camp for account planning and got my boot camp certificate. <laughs> and um, it was in Miami, that was before they opened the New York School. Um, and just really had a knack and a love for digging through and really finding the story and the problems that exist as far as brands are concerned when they're seeking to really give consumers what they want so they can get out of them what they really want, revenue, sales, brand awareness, likability, all those things. Um, and so that experience actually led me to wanting to dive in more to try to think about how we could how I could apply some of the things that I've learned to actually looking at diversity and inclusion issues. So this was before the PhD. Mm -hmm. So when I was working in um, advertising at FCB in Chicago, um, I was struck with the question because one of the things that we always talked about there was really pushing the question, like what is really the problem? What's really going on? And the question that I had was, you know, if we're so great at finding people to connect with brands, products, and services. Why is it that we have such a hard time finding people to connect with this industry? Mm, mm, That's well, a real... Okay. Well, and if okay. we do that so well outside of our business, why is it that we can't do that for ourselves? So that was my question. Um, and that actually, that question led me into my PhD program even. Um, and What's great about the question that I asked, it was one that nobody could ignore because they understood that that was a real question that they asked themselves all the time for their clients, but maybe don't think about enough for themselves. So I approached DNI or diversity and inclusion thinking about it from the perspective of how I would approach anything for any client. Hmm. You know, thinking about well, who who and what is this brand in particular? And and for from the perspective of where I worked, just looking at FCB as a brand at the time, what were the brand tenets? What were what's the mission? What is the vision? What do they want out of the world? Mm -hmm. You know, how do they want to see themselves in the world? So understanding the corporate sort of culture piece, and then realizing how diversity and inclusion actually has a place in that um, and then what under what circumstances does it have a place wow. um, and then is there a management structure overall that could potentially support this because all the in all the work that I've done um, in any of the consulting and the research that I've done basically the same thing comes back you know a diversity and inclusion effort will fail if there is not a management structure that is in place that can support it all the way through. Um, and so uh, for any client that I've worked with related to these particular kinds of issues, especially in the agency world, it's always very specific. There's no sort of cookie cutter way 
to deal with this or to work on this for agencies in general. There are some things that are best practices, but those best practices in my mind are more management strategy things. Um, and just really ensuring that whatever and whoever your business is and whatever your brand is and whatever your mission is as an agency, as a business, that everything through and through mm -hmm. is connected to that. Mm -hmm. From finance to accounting to management strategy by way of HR, and that everybody is on board and realizing um, that there are silos and that there are people that are that can be very um, what's the word I'm looking for? There are people that can be very um, territorial mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. it comes to this kind of work. And if you have that going on in your business, you have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You can't just pretend that this that this isn't real. You know, if you've got some employees that have some ideas about DNI, but HR feels like they need to own it, and HR can't own it, it's going to be a problem. It's not going anywhere. That's <laughs> so. It's like everybody has to own what's really going on mm -hmm. in the business in order for the business to move forward. If mm -hmm. we're not, if 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 each place isn't dealing with their issues then you're not going to get anywhere. It's the it's dysfunctional be... family of the world. If you don't deal with your issues, you'll be at the holiday table throwing turkeys at people. <laughs> right. I get it. <laughs> right. Or I've been there. <laughs> jumping across the table trying to choke Smack somebody you out. you in the like, face with yeah. a turkey yeah. leg. Like, I got movie. you. Listen, Ooh. I've seen these things before. I get it. That's <laughs> awesome. We're pleased to have you here. I know. Oh, I'm thank really you. Excited. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited I love, to I delve love, into this. I love young people. Oh man! Yes. Oh man! This is what I do we every love day. Being young and loved. No one else loves us. Thank you. What? No. Listen. I, do. I feel like young people are very misunderstood, and like college-age folks, graduate students, um, early to mid-career folks. I think people, y'all, are misunderstood. We so. don't make enough money to be comfortable, so we're just naturally <laughs> rebellious. <laughs> just out here in mm. these streets. Yes. So let's go into our That's Dope um, section. Yep. So anyway. welcome to this group. I don't know. Do you have any uh, current events maybe that you'd be interested to share? I'm going to let you guys lead on yeah. that. Oh. And then, so you go. Yeah. I get to choose. I would go first because my, I don't know how long my voice is going to last. Um, but my dope thing for the week is the rerouting at, of the North Dakota Access Pipeline. Ding, 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 ding. Good one. Just kind of piggybacking off of our last show, which was all about activism and what can you do to be a part of yep. the change. Um, and while I feel like there was the protesters who were on the ground, they were definitely uh, a crucial part to getting that pipeline rerouted. Um, the media wasn't reporting um, what was happening there. So I feel like everyone who was sharing and oversharing and putting their thoughts out into the universe mm -hmm. and tagging the president and tagging whoever um, was in charge and getting their attention um, led to that happening. So that's my dope thing for the week. Um, it would be doper if they just canceled the pipeline because the reality of the situation is they're moving it to another place it's going to leak eventually like every yeah. other i mean off. it's yeah. already built though like that area was only what they say 20 percent right. left I, I think 
But at the, it's, it's definitely almost already done. But at the end of the day, if we're looking at this for <clears throat> the most effective thing that could happen, the most effective thing that could happen would be canceling the pipeline. Like we're, if we're looking at it in the context of America and we're so great and we're so innovative. Mm -hmm. um, the innovative thing to do would, would be to- Find another solution. Find yeah. another solution and start putting our efforts behind um, sustainable energy mm -hmm. because it's going to leak. Like everywhere right there's a pipeline, yeah. there's a leak. Um, and every time it leaks, it fucks up the environment for decades. So mm -hmm. um, that's my dope thing for the week because it was they amazing. were yeah. very effective and everyone, like it, it just showed the power of what happens when everyone comes together for a common good. Um, so yeah. I'll say this, I was really pissed off um, at one point actually not that long ago when I re when I finally started reading in depth the the articles that were available and the tweets that I was able to search that protesters have actually been on site since April yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really had to take a step back because I was like first of all there's probably not that many things that I can commit to doing for more than six days let alone <laughs> like <laughs> six months of activism but to see that like even though they weren't getting the publicity that they deserved and even though literally for 90% of the, the duration of their fight, they weren't getting uh, the, I guess the, the actions that they wanted were not happening or the results they wanted were not happening. Um, they stuck to it. And I know we talked about on the last episode and episodes prior and a lot of us in uh, conversations with our peers and smaller groups that like, Simi, you posted, you know, protests do work. Protests only work if you're committed to it. And these people, like, you'll read tweets and you'll see signs. Water is life for them. Yeah. So it literally has to, what that showed a lot of us, and I could see it on social media, is that whatever you're protesting for, if you really want it to work, it has to be something that you feel is a life or death situation, not just that I'm pissed off right now. So hopefully what this does is show other people, and I think there was some buzz earlier um, about other protests that are starting um, as a result of this one, that it's not just a 10 days we're not shopping at Walmart. What are you willing to live, who are you willing to live for, what are you willing to die for, um, has to be the sentiment for protests to make change. And I think the, the scary part of this is that this is not the end of this Standing Rock situation. I mean, as when, um, President Obama does get out of office. President Trump can. We don't refer to him as such. The only <laughs> president, president we acknowledge Trump, is Obama. I'm just being real. <laughs> um, can have the option of like continuing this project across the land. So, you know, although this is a great stride, we have to keep our eye on it. Um, as the <clears throat> to, to he who shall not be named comes into the, the office. <laughs> to, to, to that point, um, like you mentioned, like there are other protests kicking, kicking off, um, more specifically today, mm -hmm. which is the um, the Sean King and Justice boycott, which does um, it does revolve around, it does have points that point back to um, Standing Rock, which was boycotting the banks who were supporting the building of the pipeline. 
Is Wells Fargo on there? I've been trying to cancel my account for the longest. Perfect. So, I mean, like, it's, it's, this is just one of those things where it points back, like, canceling your bank account and putting your money somewhere else isn't as, like, detrimental as, like, being on the ground from April until From December, winter till right? winter. Basically. Yeah, basically. And getting sprayed on by hoses in freezing weather, like, it's the 60s. So, um, I mean, there's definitely things that you can do that will be effective whether or not when when that dude gets into office. Who's going to be a fight? <laughs> right. I mean, but anything that you want that's worth that's like has high stakes it's gonna be a fight so I feel like 2017 is gonna be the year of a fight it's gonna be bananas any fight it's gonna be bananas it's gonna be well I think the thing that you all should take comfort in is that our country has a long history of people being very effective in getting social change done by mm-hmm. way of how they purchase or they don't purchase. Okay. Yeah. And in the academic space, we call that consumer activism mm-hmm. by way of consumer movements. And the minute and the moment that people realize how much power they have by way of how they consume, that will impact lots of change. Now, what we have now that some of our ancestors didn't have was the ability to vote. Mm-hmm. and the ability to participate in our political system. Yes. So we have to do all of it. We have to protest, we have to vote, we have to participate in our political system. We have to um, engage and develop new, fresh candidates um, who have our best interests at heart and promote them and fundraise for them and be there for them and be out there picketing and all of that for mm-hmm. them. So. There are a whole host of things that can be done. There's not going to be just one thing, and then there's not going to be just one leader. Mm-hmm. Everyone can decide that within their corner of the world that they're going to do something. And all of that collectively together can make change. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I agree. Here, here. It's time to <laughs> put in work. Your turn. That was my dope. <laughs> Did I steal it? I literally had it open on my phone. Oh, well, that's fun. Why don't you make the Sean King protest your dope? That's not my dope. Standing Rock was my thing because of last episode. I didn't know you were going to come in and. Okay, well, I have two dope. The Sean King and Justice protests uh, and Justice Boycott is my second dope thing. Yeah. Because I think for a long time, like, we've, we've been waiting. If you've been having living room conversations or conversations in the bar, you've been waiting for someone to come up with an option that made sense because we've been talking about getting shit done for a long time. Um, and I think no one's really just, no one sat down to write out the points because we were kind of waiting for someone to do it. Um, and I think he kind of did it, like he wrote out the points. And whether or not everyone, this is the one that is the most effective, I feel like it's a starting point for people to uh, mobilize and get energized around making their voice 
um, and their choices and their opinions count if it's through something as simple as like consumer activism like this is like it's now like you can't really wait any longer because who knows what this dude is going to do um, he clearly doesn't care about what we say but money talks yeah. and everything that exactly. was laid out in those uh, four points that uh, Sean King laid out they were all about money right and if you have money then you have uh, a say and you can be effective and part of the change absolutely I think there was just like points I, mean, I was waiting for those that list so I guess it's out now when I first read it, it didn't. but I think it's it's long. He I was about to say the yeah. one you sent had the points. He should have got points. a copywriter because it was like down. right. It was like it was. There were no clips now. Well, but no, I think like this is we were waiting for ha if you're gonna have a boycott, you gotta have a boycott. You have to have it well at least thought out to a point of what is the change. Not necessarily, and I think you, I don't. I just don't think that you should just have a boycott to boycott. Like it has to be specific to make. Well, there's it there's a goal. Effect. I think I think here's here's the thing. There's there's a goal, and every boycott it has a goal. I think what where our handicap is, and this is. And I'll just speak for myself what my handicap is. Like, we're comfortable as shit. Like, this is why we go to work. Like, we go to work for money, for, for comforts. Like, Come we, on can, now. we can survive on bare necessities. Like, I could go work at McDonald's and I could figure out a way to make it work. I don't want to work at McDonald's because I want shit. And you don't want to be without shit. And you don't want to be uncomfortable. The problem with a boycott is that it forces you to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It forces you to do something that you don't necessarily want to do or would do mm -hmm. if you weren't put in a situation. Like you're basically, I don't want to say animal, but your back is to the wall. Mm -hmm. And so this, be like your boycott be becomes your fight. So to me, what he's done is like, he's just taught me a way to, to fight. Like this, and it's it's simple. It's It's not, it's doable. It's doable. Like it's not. The first phase seems doable i'm not quite sure what and 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 not to say oh well it's gonna get tougher and people might fall off but i i, I what i took from it was very much so that this is just the first phase and this right. is up to um mlk day not the weekend the day um but yeah it, and quite frankly it's not the first time that somebody's laid out a plan no. mm -hmm. um but to Simeon's point, I think a lot of people may feel like their backs are up against the wall or very close to that wall. A lot of people are starting to see that wall where, regardless of resources, um, their needs are not being met. Right. It's no longer a resource issue. It's not just about how much money you make. It's about life. And for many, death, right. uh, which is important when it comes to any fight, whether it's a physical war, a mental war, an emotional war, like, you have to, to your point of being fighting for something, it's more than just, it's more than just what we understood it to be up until, I would say up until this year, at least, and by we, I mean a certain generation, um, like my age, mm -hmm. our age, so. So, what's your dope thing of the week? Mine is a little bit more superficial, so apologies for this. Oh no, we it's need this. We need this. <laughs> dope thing. Yeah, dope no, I um, I uh, didn't want to go that route today. <laughs> um, but uh, by the time I guess people listen to this, this comes out 
a little after, but recently Billboard has released its top 100 females, female execs uh, within the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited to see it because my girl crush of the year, Bozema St. John, um, of course, has made the list. My girl crush, uh, girl crush of my lifetime, Sylvia Rohn, is also on this list. And what intrigued me about this list, which um, made me say I think this is something I should keep as my dope shit for today's episode is that there is a section that is specific to women who work in the digital fields um so i don't know if i talked about it on this show but i know i've said it in in personal conversations one of my goals in life is to somehow marry this digital advertising thing i do to pay for my vacations Mm -hmm. with my love and passion for the music industry and culture that i had started to cultivate prior to needing money and having to pay sally may um so seeing a list like this besides just seeing a list of dive i will say diverse women i mean obviously it's not one to one but this list of diverse women of various ages from I think the youngest person I saw in there was about 24 um, and the most mature woman I saw in there was 70 um, that literally have their hand in what pushes culture um, and even movements forward if you look at how music has played such an integral role um, in boycotts and the boycotts over the past in the past century or even in the past few years like there are women that are holding this down. There are women that make and break careers. There are women that literally determine what you see on not just these amazing, I don't know if you guys saw the dope Spotify billboards that they have in Nolita um, and in Times Square that that actively use data. Um, They're utilizing data to make, I guess, the the content for it. So like to the person that listened to to Sorry, was it like, 10,000 times what did you do oh yeah <laughs> I saw that did you that see that really one clever. so like these are there are, there are women behind these campaigns these pieces of businesses these marketing and branding partnerships and that's the kind of stuff um, as a woman and as a woman of color that I like to see to say one day I can do that and when I grow up eventually I'll mature and be a real person but when I do decide to grow up this is some shit that I'd like to do so that was my dope shit and shout out to all of the ladies on here and the honorable mentions um stand your ground I'm coming for that ass in at least 10 years that's amazing uh, age range that you mentioned isn't it going up to like in the 70s that's the thing that like I was like yo that's that's real because mm-hmm. we haven't really touched on age here on on the show but that's yeah important it's a thing yeah it's a thing and our lovely guests hi hi okay you also don't have to you you also don't have to contribute i just stopped us we just stopped assuming that people don't have them because a couple times you're like ah i got something to share like oh no i actually i i actually enjoyed you all's i didn't have okay good for the week that's fine it's all good Cause this You're already dope enough, so it's great. I'm about to say, <laughs> we've been sitting here just Thank listening you. to like all the knowledge that you're spitting. Forget oh, 16 man. bars. You got novels worth of bars. Oh, poetry. So, I bet poetry. <laughs> verses, psalms in this piece. Um, but it's cool because what we're about to do, right? I guess you want to transition? Yeah, it's 2016. 
Can we put it in rice? <laughs> Can in we rice. what? <laughs> Can we put it in rice? Yeah, to like take some of the. <laughs> Like oh, yeah. Take some of the I was like, like what yeah. kind of cultural? When it's spicy, is, you is, eat rice and it's You know when your phone's dead off. and you put it in oh, rice? Right. Mm. If it like if it if you drop it in water, yeah. apparently if you put it in I rice, didn't I didn't like that. I didn't that didn't mm. resonate. I don't I didn't like that. <laughs> have you said that already? Yes, today? I have. And somebody said what? No, you're the only one that said Oh, we're the first. Oh, you tested it. I really try to I try to get with you know the similes and the metaphors. I really try to process them. I appreciate that. Like Me it died, and we want to bring it back to life. Today we're going to talk about 2016 a year. All right, radio. girl. Next time. <laughs> Shit. It's been a rough year, you guys. Um, this year we talked about loss, uh, harassment lawsuits, leadership transitions, national tragedies, and of course, he who shall not be named president. We need a name for him. We can call him Trump. He's just not the president. Like Christopher Columbus, <laughs> we can refer to him as such. But the only Christopher I acknowledge is Wallace. Wallace. So, yeah, continue. So now that 2016 is coming to a close, let's you know revisit some of the articles that we touched on this year. Um, I'm going to start with what, one of our first episodes. Um, it was about Felicia Geiger, um, how she was, well, I don't want to say... As she left her position. She didn't leave her position. <laughs> she was let go and forced out, and they crumbled up, burned, and threw in the garbage her position. That's what it was. I mean, I wanted that reaction. I was like, why are we pussyfooting around it? No. <laughs> Deutsch basically decided to forego having a diversity, uh, a senior diversity position within their organization because they felt that they needed room to be able to, what was it, uh, focus on their technological endeavors moving forward. And in an effort to do so, they figured that diversity, which is not wrong, but it's also, to me, that was a shitty, that was a shitty way to bring it back. But yeah, it questioned it's everybody's, uh, diversity is everybody's responsibility. Okay, bruh. Well, who's the one that's going to get fired when we don't meet numbers? And I think Wait. it questioned even the purpose of the position. Wait. Oh. No. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It's fine. Well, I think it's interesting because I know Felicia. Yeah. And that's the fairy godmother of all the um, She's She's just been very integral, even in my career. Um, mm-hmm. Just um, definitely a shining light. I don't know a whole lot about what and how Deutsch is actually addressing um, diversity and inclusion. Um, all I know is, I know for sure, and just even based on what I said earlier before we even started the podcast, mm-hmm. depends on what the overall management strategy is. If you understand the management strategy, then you can really judge what's really happening. So. Um, based on the article that you guys posted, there were two gentlemen that were hired right yeah. after she was let go. Um, too diverse. <laughs> diverse. For lack of there Explain is. that. <laughs> Explain that. That's what, oh. Well, they <laughs> this episode. I think this was probably the most fun episode because we went they in. Said that they were these two dudes were diverse because. 
and I'm I'm misquoting, but the the sentiment the characteristics was, yeah. that they used was like one was tall, the other one was short, <laughs> um, and I think one was from Brooklyn and the other one was from like the Midwest. Like it wasn't about race or like ethnic group. It was like they they found a way to make to justify two, their diversity to straight identifying white men different like diverse they, they found a way to fit them into the diverse category and to, to Kai's point and, and I believe it was in that episode which is when you're not specific about what it is that you're trying to solve and who is diverse mm-hmm. and who it is and who's missing from this picture then you are able to um, paint the picture however it is that you want to paint it and if you're saying diversity, then you can make two white men who are the norm for this industry diverse Become candidates. diverse, yeah. Yes. So, again, I'll go back. <laughs> it depends on what the management strategy is, mm-hmm. right? So if, if it is not part of the management strategy at that agency to have a more diverse staff by way of having a management strategy that is more inclusive, one in which um, people have an opportunity to grow, develop, learn, et cetera, et cetera, move up through the company. Um, There are a lot of, there are a few organizations that I can think of off the top of my head, we'll say Marcus Graham Project, AAF, the 4As, that um, offer entry to mid-level people of color who are prepared and ready to go into these roles and there are a lot of agencies that take advantage of that um i think what you'll get to one of the challenges is how do they become how do they develop through the company and then also one of my things is also what about supplier diversity as well because there are opportunities Mm -hmm. to bring and partner with businesses who have owners that are people of color, um, people of uh, historically marginalized groups that could also be brought into the agency at different levels. So, um, so again, it's a management strategy issue. So you could talk about, well, Deutsch is making it seem like they're not. They're either doing it or they're not doing it. They're either um, attaching bonuses to every employee that they say that everybody is responsible and that everybody has some sort of checkpoint within their, their review mm-hmm. that means that they somehow contributed to this overall um, goal that mm-hmm. they have, but without any of that in place, then it, you can't necessarily take that seriously mm-hmm. because, as you all said before, money talks. Child. So, and I think that was definitely one of the. So, a lot of the points you just touched on, um, in our anger and aggression and and youthful rebellion. That's a lot what we touched on during that episode where it's like that's what we wanted to see because there was one quote where they said everyone from the receptionist responsible for diversity from the receptionist up and we were like so is the receptionist getting reviewed on her his or her contribution to diversity and you know, and that's a from fair, our that's a fair that's question. That's a fair question. It's a I fair question say. about how how is everyone being tracked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is everyone being compensated? Right. How is everyone being affected? And how does this work towards the overall goal that should be tied 
to a particular management strategy. Um, they might have something like that going on. I don't work there. I don't know anybody who works well, there, so they, they I'm are not I, sure. They are IPG, so there is uh, diversity incentive in place for upper management to reach numbers. Like when they hit those numbers, like there is money that they are paid, like bonus. But I think a key thing that you you talked about is retention. You could have these programs like Marcus Graham and, and like the such and have diversity come in as an entry point, but are we monitoring, like, is that bringing true diversity? Is that making more diverse teams? Is this allowing to be a space for everyone to do their work successfully? And then you, you, you touched on supplier diversity. So, so although we see one side of what diversity and inclusion can mean from a per work professional, there's the business standpoint. And I think the biggest part about this article is that having everyone be responsible for diversity is kind of only taking one side and not looking at the business part of it, unless that's going to be C-suite's responsibility to look at the business side well, I think, of the hidden diversity, I would say. Well, I think it's fair to, it's fine to say everyone's responsible if everyone's accountable. Mm -hmm. And that ladders up to an overall strategy that is attached to where the business is going. You know, and so if that's true, then fine. Kudos to them. Because like I said, well, I, I think I said this before we started recording, every agency is going to have its way into this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not every you can't just put like a blanket sort of diversity and inclusion strategy and just say that what what works for Deutsch is going to work for fcb what's working for fcb is going to work for ynr you know everybody has their own mission their own vision their own way in which they're going to go about and get business and as a result, that should, if that management strategy is laid out correctly, it should mm -hmm. trickle down through every aspect of their business. But that has to be laddered up at the top. There has to be accountab accountability right. at the top. And if everybody is responsible, then everybody should have an accountability point right. that's relative to what it is that they do, what they bring to the table, and their expertise. Right. If, I'm, if, if everybody's responsible, and that's a part of the management strategy, if I'm a junior copywriter, then it might be my job as a result to bring in, because I'm an artist, to bring in artists or diverse artists and have their work placed on the wall. Like that mm -hmm. might be the thing that my manager has tasked me to do because everybody's responsible. So we're incorporating art in the wall. We're supporting um, artists of different backgrounds and we're putting them on the wall and that's the thing that I did to help make my space more inclusive in a, in a space where people can feel comfortable. 100%. If I'm a writer, then that means that it might be my job to source writers of different backgrounds and different ethnic ethnicities, bring them in to do talks, to bring them in to consult and work on projects with us or even bring them in to work full time if that's what the opportunity is. But right. like everybody, so that's what I'm saying, everybody can be responsible, sure. but it has to be, but everybody also has to be accountable. I was gonna say, I think, and, and the biggest thing that you're saying, or the most important thing I think you're saying, or the most important word is the accountability aspect. And that was a part of the discussion. I found responsibility to be more suggestive, whereas accountability, 
actually means that there's a consequence to not defining uh, success and reaching that success. And I think to, to everything that what you just uh, mentioned, Amber, like that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Like if they would have announced it yeah. and said, "Yo, this is actually this is how we're gonna do it. The strategy. This is how we're going to do it." Um, oh shit! Even as a follow-up, we haven't heard any. I haven't yeah, like, seen anything since. They, I, I think, I think why it was such a hot topic for us was that they made light of it, and mm-hmm. I think just common sense says that if you have a specialist, that specialist is there for a reason. Uh, a junior copywriter can't address diversity the way that someone who has been trained in human resources can address diversity. Because if you work in a hospital, like. The surgeon is there to do surgeries. Like that's just the way that it is. Like a strategist is there for strategies. Like that's just the way that it is. They made light of the situation and that that comment about um, those white men being diverse candidates. Like it it's was. It's not joke. wrong, like, but it was, it's minimizing. Right. It it's was, minimizing what we're trying yeah. to accomplish. Well, do you all do you got do you all have contact with any people of color who work? Not anymore, but Simeon had. He worked (laughs) there. So, what is your perception, if you can say, of the culture? They they can't afford to not have a specialist Mm -hmm. because uh, and the the story that I told um, that day was that when I worked there, um, Felicia was still there when I worked there. Was but I realized that I was invisible, and this is one of the reasons why like retention is so low amongst diverse candidates in places like that because you feel invisible like you're not um there's nobody there advocating for you well not necessarily not not advocating for you because felicia was advocating for me but felicia is she's not a cd she's not a crypt director like she she wasn't the person who was giving me work right so there isn't a person there who's mentoring you on your work like you're not being developed you're not getting better and when i realized that that was happening i was like yo i'm gonna do a social experiment I'm just not gonna come to work for a few days. And I didn't come to work for like three or four days and no one noticed. And I just walked back into work like on Monday and they were just like, hey, it's like nobody noticed that I wasn't here for like four days. The only person who noticed was Felicia. So like in an environment like that where you can basically disappear if you're like literally disappear if you're a person of color and no one will notice you can't afford to not have somebody there who is holding people accountable for diversity and inclusion, and not even just diversity, because the, the diverse part is getting me in, it's the inclusion part. That's mm-hmm. where the people need right. uh, strategy. So what I will say to that is, is that that again is an overall management strategy issue. Mm-hmm. And a management strategy that is inclusive of ensuring that diversity and inclusion is a priority means that it wouldn't just be Felicia that would be responsible. It would be every senior manager, it would be every mid-manager, and there would be accountability Mm -hmm. for that. Um, and, And it would go at every level. And it's one of those things that if done correctly, it shouldn't just affect people of color or people of um, historically marginalized groups, it should impact everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone should see a difference. 
in the way that their career is structured. Right. Everyone should see a difference because it's the inclusion piece. If everyone was treated with a similar level of um, care and um, having similar opportunities to, to perform, Mm-hmm. then you create a space or you create an environment that is inclusive. It's not just giving special credit to certain people or certain groups. It's about an, a management strategy that is one that is inclusive mm-hmm. in general. Um, and so it sounds to me like, based on Simeon's experience, that perhaps, at least at that time, it just wasn't a priority. Right. And then perhaps the way that the article was written, perhaps it's still not a priority. Slightly condescending article. And so if it's not a priority, then we also have to take a step back as people who work in this space or work in the industry Mm -hmm. and understand Mm self-care, right? Um, You know, I've talked to people in this space and people have said things like, you know, well, if, if, if you're not there, then who's going to be there? 100%. Right? However, if you are invisible in that space, then it is not benefiting you. It's not benefiting your health. It's not benefiting your career because you don't have a chance to really grow and develop and be who you need to be. Now, not every agency is going to have it all together as far as diversity and inclusion is concerned. However, if you're in a space where you can at least get the ear mm-hmm. of the person that you report to and you and that person has the ear of the next person that they report to and so on and so on and or and or all, you have the ear of everyone that someone cares about what you have to say and what you can contribute and you're given space to actually help them navigate that if that's what you choose to do right. or if you don't even want to be involved you cannot and then that's still a place of respect right where just because you're the person of color or you're the person that is a part of another marginalized group that you have to be put in a position to have to do you become the DNI person, or you become the person on the committee. It is not what you choose to do. Um, I think that one of the things that I like about Black Lives Matter is that a tenet of of Black Lives Matter is self care mm-hmm. and taking care of self, putting yourself and being in a situation that's hostile to you and who you are does not benefit you, and it doesn't benefit the goal of creating a more inclusive. Uh, industry. Right. It's very important that you're in spaces where you know that you have an opportunity to at least grow. Like right. there's some there's some aspects of the industry that you can't overcome. Like the nature of having to deal with the fact that clients come and go. And so you lose a piece of business, you might get let go, but it's not just you, it's like, you know, 100 it's just other a hundred other people part of the machine, and right? it's part of the machine. But where the industry should be concerned is about people who um, leave out of this invisibility piece and leave the industry entirely. Right, right. Um, And then just the the brain drain and the loss of talent 
Because what happens in the industry is like when one place loses a piece of business, somebody else picks it up. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to have some continuity, even if you're not at the same place. Like right. it's, you know, it's great to be able to hire somebody who already worked on the business before and has a sense of it and 100%. you know, all these things. So there are there are costs um, to the industry for just losing that kind of brain drain. But it it's more costly to you as an individual to be in a space that's hostile to who you are. Absolutely. If that's the case, you have got to get out of there. You cannot fight in that space. That is not a fight that you need right. to have. Like and there are other that. spaces and other yeah. places to work that will be more than happy to have you. And again, they're not going to be perfect spaces, but if at least there's some interest in moving forward, then you're going to have a better experience there. Right. And for the other companies that you know are slow to get on that bad that bandwagon, they will suffer the consequences. Right. And that won't be up to any into any one person to have them suffer those consequences. They will because they can go the way of Blockbuster and Circuit City. Because I believe that there were young people in those spaces that told them Blockbuster in 97. There's this thing called Netflix. Right. And my dad, you, and I think, <laughs> okay. And then, because right. then not too long after that, the music industry was going it's after Napster. Yeah. How do you not see that if, if, if songs and music can go digital, then movies are going, how right. do you... How do you miss that? Now, you could have a whole bunch of, and, and this is another sort of management strategy issue to consider. If you've got a whole bunch of people at the top who are more interested in retiring than they are creating something for the next generation that's coming into their business, mm-hmm. you don't have a future. There. Exactly. You know? And I think, we, I think we ended up, like, getting to that point with it. But the I guess the follow-up to that is, I don't, I'm not sure if you've seen Felicia since then, but we've seen her quite a few times since then. And just being able to see, like, her influence and her impact is still just as positive. I think, I believe her Twitter name is Deutsch Diva? Ex-Deutsch Diva. Ex-Deutsch Diva now, okay. Like, you don't even need, like, her impact is, is so much more than it was there. And to your point... If they not treating you right, I mean, I say it all the time. People think I'm aggressive, but if they ain't treating you right, you ain't gotta stay, cause you can get that money plus plus more anywhere else. So, looking forward to see. I'm looking forward to seeing if, and I guess we'll get down to it to with the other topics. But if Deutsch um, creates some sort of management plan that they're willing to share, or that people that work there see, and also looking forward to seeing what you know Felicia has to come for her besides just being fabulous when we do see her so yeah so another thing that we talked about um this year was the jwt well ex jwt ceo gustavo martinez that man certainly was interesting um he had to uh, step down from his position as ceo because of lawsuits of um allegations of discrimination and sexual harassment and in this episode we actually had an audio clip of him making a sexist joke up in front of, I think, C-Suite and new clients. They're like, Super fun. It was an off-site. <laughs> there was an off-site, and he was talking about the neighborhood. He thought he was going to get robbed yeah. in Miami. 
like South Beach area, but for, I guess for him it was seedy. I don't I don't know. It must be nice. And <laughs> and the sexual harassment was actually he allegedly threatened um, to rape a female exec in the bathroom. I think the joke was he was gonna lock her in and him and another colleague. Is it a quote there? I heard the quote somewhere. It was like, "Come uh, here, let me come here, let me rape you in the bathroom." Like. Who jokes like How that? you just you just <laughs> said that out loud. People heard you. You didn't just say that in your head. You said it like in real life. So we talk about management strategy from diversity perspective, but what if management is actually actively making a hostile environment? I mean, I mean, we discussed it. It is like self care. I think the best part about this was the fact that they were able to. There was there was action after taking self care after saying. I think one woman was fired, but another quit because she was like, forget all this BS. Yeah. But um, that there was action and that because of those lawsuits and all of the complaints brought against him, they actually like he actually had to step down, which I'm sure he was asked to resign. He doesn't doesn't strike me as a man that just decides, oh, this isn't good for you guys. It's like a roundabout question. I don't. We strongly advise you. Do you mind just like (laughs) never coming back again, please? But I mean, that story was interesting um, for many reasons. I think a lot of what we talked about this year is uh, in the context of DNI, a lot of focus had been put, has been put on um, diversity and inclusion as it relates to women. Um, And this is one of those stories that helped to propel a lot of. activism within the industry and conversation at conferences um, about what the workplace is actually like for women. The reality is he was just a douchebag. Like, you're just a grown-ass douchebag. And I don't care where you're from. He was just not shit. I think also it was like having accountability for someone who's higher up than you. When things are said in a room, you're in the room of trust right and things are said because of this room of trust but at the same time like you don't agree with what's being said I mean this isn't the first time that Martinez said these things had these thoughts allegations whatever that this is probably one of the few times we hear it are in our years in a public way but it's not the first time I mean someone who's always sexist and downright disturbing will always be downright disturbing whether in public or private space. So I think it, one thing that we talked about in that episode was accountability, you know, when someone is higher than us. Or, and in this case, I mean, no one's higher than him when it's a CEO in the room. So. I mean, there's this aspect of whistleblowing, which for a long time people were and, uh, and still are very fearful of. And it, it takes either a certain level of pettiness or a certain level of courage or maybe a mix of both. To be able to say I'm actually about to shut shit down or at least shake shit up. So, you know, there was an article that I read today um, by, um, I guess you would call him the industry, but his name is Derek Walker. He owns mm-hmm. an agency in um, South Carolina. But the, the article that he wrote, um, or the blog post that he wrote, which is on um, the drum.com. The title of the article is that white men in advertising are too silent and their silence speaks volumes. And what basically what he was talking about was like situations like that where there is somebody in the room who is saying um, racist or misogynistic things 
and there's no one there to check them um, and and call them out or report them to HR. And I think even in that recording, like while uh, Gustavo uh, was making his comments, there were people who were chuckling. Um, and so like this article, I feel like it, it hits the nail on the head, which is, yeah, there's there's definitely a problem, a diversity problem in this business, and there are racist and misogynistic dudes who are in this business. But then you have also the quote unquote um, good white people who are in this business who sit in these rooms and don't say and don't make these comments outright, but they hear these comments being said and they don't do anything. Um, I think their silence makes them guilty um, because this lawsuit could have been avoided. Like if someone in that room spoke up and said, hey, that's wrong. Like, don't say that. Um, and yeah, this dude, yeah, he's he's the CEO, but it's, 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 if it was a white man who checked him in that moment, I think it would have, he would have received it differently than if it would have been uh, a white woman who, um, checked them in that moment because there's there's something the other part of this conversation is not just diversity in, uh, um, in advertising it's just overall culturally in general like expecting the victims to speak up for themselves when they're being victimized or oppressed it's kind of it's like it's, it's a crazy thought especially when the stakes are high um, so I feel like now that we're looking back on it um, He's not the only guilty party involved. Not like, at all. It's, it's, Absolutely there not. There are definitely other people who uh, should be held accountable for what. And I think they. I think they were. I think there were like a couple heads that that did roll. Um, but yeah, that's what. Looking back, that's what I'm taking from the situation. It's like he was. He was uh, a screwball in that situation. But there were people who could have stood up and did the right thing in that moment that chose not to. So no. So the next um, event that happened this year, this is, I don't know, still kind of hard because it feels so close. I mean, Wait, sorry, there is a follow up to that. So a few months later, I, or rather a few months ago, um, I actually got my hands on a JWT, I guess, internal magazine or maybe it's not an internal magazine but they put together um essentially a book that focused on promoting women and women creatives and feminine creativity and all things glory given to women um <laughs> and i on one hand like i i get it yeah. you know you want to you have to take some steps to make things right everybody's first sorry isn't going to be their best sorry but um, I didn't hear anything. I just wish there was like an apology letter in there, maybe on the first page first, instead of just saying we're going to dedicate uh, an internal publication to saying that we're really not show misogynistic, chauvinistic is, agency. But isn't their new CEO a woman? Ooh. I, I think she is. Google. Mm -hmm. Google, she is. I don't know. I was like, yeah, Google it. <laughs> I think there that I do believe there was a woman that stepped in. I don't I don't know if she was CEO. Uh, okay. 
Because this is right on yeah. the heels of like it was that, and then at Sachi Sachi, their top guy was talking about what else could women possibly want? They have everything. Um, but I thought it was cute that they released a little booklet of all things go go women. Um, well, right know. after all of that, it was cute. It was a result of them having a new woman as their CEO. I mean, I want to see twelve more issues. Yeah, I need I need a year's worth of issues. I need it to be there to be commitment, not just I'm gonna release mm. pretty pictures of diverse women doing creative things. I don't I don't, I don't need to see any issues. I just want to see you don't results. you don't because the, because the, there's the, I need to. It's not like yes results, but like that to me is is a part of the because the, the way that I see it is that issues are filled with pretty pictures um, and words that are carefully crafted to create an image that will help everyone forget what this dude did. Mm-hmm. Um, what you what you can't fake are, well, you can't fake results, but um, us seeing work coming out of JWT that is led by women that is that shows that women are an afterthought in the strategy mm-hmm. um, and in the creative, to me, that's, that would speak more volumes than releasing a magazine. And so that goes back to management strategy. Absolutely. Right? So I hate to beat a dead horse, <laughs> but I'm going to keep beating. Dead horses need so to some, I mean, that's um, what they're there for. So, again, what you would see from JWT like to your point of oh I need to I would need to see like 12 issues and to Simeon's point of um, oh I would need to actually see some results the 12 issues and plus the results it's tied back to okay we need a whole new way in which we're managing this mm-hmm. place we had a, we need a whole new way in which we're reviewing talent from um, accounting to creative to media, right. to strategy. We need a whole revamp of how we're doing this thing that aligns with our values and how we want to portray ourselves. Because the reality is is that agencies get away with far more than clients do. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to me that more clients don't hold their agencies accountable, accountable. at least to their standards. But to a certain extent, the client is poten- is potentially not as concerned about their agency's antics as long as they're producing for mm-hmm. them. So there's this, there is this sort of moral and ethical thing that we're dealing with, but at the heart of it all is always business. We're trying to accomplish some sort of goal on behalf of a client. Perhaps the CEO, the former CEO, um, was producing or had some sort of relationship that made it very challenging for senior managers to let him go. And when I say senior managers, in our in our case, we're talking about the board, mm-hmm. um, or we're talking about who he ultimately would answer to, mm-hmm. um, because the strategy around really understanding who your publics are as far as DNI and and how that and all of that um, 
is also related to shareholders as well. Like, to what extent is having somebody like that in place risky? Because we all understand that HR, their job is to protect the company. We know that, right? Um, and so if there is someone that is in place that could bring harm or bring down the entire thing, what is the responsibility or how is it that HR or operations can begin to step in and say that this is, this is a harm, this mm-hmm. is something that could bring harm to the company? Yeah. So, um, so we also have to understand the law as well when it comes to how and what law governs workplace activities and workplace interactions. Um, Because it's one thing to go to um, a particular group that is responsible for protecting the company with a personal grievance. It's quite another to go in and state the law Mm -hmm. and where there is law that is being broken because Mm -hmm. this person is existing in this space. Right. So we also have to come with facts and we have to be ready to talk through not only why we are personally violated, but why also this person is harmful to the entire business. And so um, I think that there was a point where, you know, there are people who have worked that worked with that former CEO very closely that determined like, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm not even going to deal. Mm -hmm. There are other people that might have gone with personal grievances. There are also people that could have potentially laid out the legality of how this could be potentially harmful, not just the individuals, but the entire company. And, you know, but at the same time, there had to have been a culture in that company that supported his development in the first place. We totally touched on that. I'm not sure where he came from or if he came all the way through the agency where he ended up being CEO, although I doubt it. Right. Um, but there was a culture that allowed him to advance. And so the question isn't, you know, are you gonna get more books? You know, the question is, books, results, has the, cult, has the company culture, is it moving in a direction that's one that is more inclusive? Mm-hmm. And yeah, also, will be more protected from legal risk. Baby. Well, they have a female, I mean, sorry, they have a new CEO who is a woman. Well, not all women. Right. Yes. We'll just, I mean, right, 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 right. (laughs) And then there's that. I mean, at the end of the day, to your point, Simeon, everything, uh, there have been updates to JWT. I like when I can actually follow a story all, uh, through um they have seen very they have seen or they have seen they seem very superficial um and i'm looking forward to seeing what next year kind of holds for some of these agencies that were in the news this year so um to go off that um we're going to go into summer uh the first i want to say the first week but in july we went through a lot of tragedies um black men being killed and actually being seen on social media. One example is Philando Castillo. I think that was on Facebook Live. And it was just a whole week of tragedy. Um, in that next, in the next coming days after, Wyden Kennedy posted on their website, um, I, wanna, I don't want to say it's a post, 
but it was a stand. They I'm reposted um, an email that an that an employee okay. had, or they posted to their website uh, homepage a letter that an employee had sent to them, uh, to their blast off. Um, yeah, to their their blast off platform, whatever it is that they share internally. Um, that week as a whole was intense. I think we had just come off the heels a couple weeks prior um, from the uh, shooting in, um, sorry, the mass shooting, because that's what the hell it was, in Orlando, um, and possibly, I believe, like a month or a month and a half prior to that, um, the tragedies in, uh, in, in Europe, in France, sorry, in Paris, and in Brussels. Um, and we all talked about it. Like, we went to work, and people were sad, and people were up in arms, and people were discussing it. People wanted to know how they could help, and people were changing filters on their Facebook and writing messages on their agency pages and sending emails to their clients, and, and, and they were so united that we had to make a change, and all of a sudden, something that, for me, and I had called it out on my agency, because it was like, and, and, not in a be- and not in a negative way, but as I... I said it on the podcast and I said it again mm-hmm. when we had the larger discussion my agency is located in Minneapolis that literally is right next to St. Paul if not for most people Minneapolis St. Paul is a thing like that's the airport so within a lot of agencies backyards and in, in Baton Rouge and then clearly this happens more frequently than it needs to all of a sudden nobody has anything to say nobody feels bad and I think Simeon said something. It was like, as we're chatting and like holding in all of these emotions, because we were very emotional, uh, specifically on this show, but a lot of our colleagues, while we're in our feelings and dealing with the trauma, there are people key, key, key in next to you, and you're like, did somebody just die yesterday, or is it just me? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that, I don't, I, oh, God's. A problem that we can solve because like we were saying like mm-hmm. last week like yep. it's either you you feel you have these convictions for humanity or you you don't like um, does it affect you when someone dies or do you just like talk about what kind of heartless bastard <laughs> are you <slobs? laughs> like, and, and, and that was like the second time that I've, I've, I've experienced that so when the, uh, yep. the mass shooting happened um, at the church. Yep. And was Charlotte. Yep. Um, 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 Charleston. Charleston. Yeah. Um, like, I remember being at work and, like, in my feelings because, like, you just look at the. I mean, like, all black people look like your family. Right? But right before so. <laughs> that, but right, right, right before that, it was also the protests in Baltimore. Right. And right before that, it was also what was going on in Ferguson. And I remember in my G-chats, my G-chats were were popping with people expressing themselves. And text messages were popping. Mm -hmm. But at work, it was business as usual. So I I, I will say this. um, And I I didn't talk about it that day because I did not go. But at work, there was a, um, I don't know what you even call it, on the roof where I didn't go because I know myself at this point in my life at 32 and if people say the wrong things at the wrong time I'm I'm probably gonna pop off um so 
there was a Hispanic woman who told me later, she was like, you actually should have went on the roof because like they opened the floor for everybody to express their emotions, however shallow or deep. And she's saying that people were crying um, and uh, a lot of white people were admitting their uh, nonchalance in the situation. Mm-hmm. and they were having uh, their come to Jesus moment, so to speak. Um, Seeing how people of color were reacting to a stranger being killed and trying to, and and starting to understand why they were having such um, raw emotions um, dealing with that situation. So I will give it to them for that, and I don't really talk about my company that much on here, but I, I I will give it to them for that. But the immediate people <laughs> that were in my vicinity um, were very just like they were just non-reactive to the fact that you know this dude lost his life in 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 a very senseless way. And I think for me, like, the, and I talk about this all the time, like I drive. So anytime, like, and a lot of these situations are with dudes who are driving. So I automatically go, you know how many times I say some crazy shit to cops when they pull me over because I ain't do shit. So, like, to me, like, those moments are, like, very, like, damn. You made it. Like, you, yeah, it's, it's you made it. But when you, when you see, like, your coworkers not responding in the same manner that you are responding, like, it fucks with you. Um, so yeah, I mean like, and also and I, I think I said on the episode too, that is that was the the fourth ugh, that's fucked up like the fourth mass shooting that has happened, um, and I've been at work within twenty four hours, mm-hmm. and so I've I've seen how my coworkers have reacted to Sandy Hook. I saw how mm-hmm. they reacted to uh, the Boston Marathon. Um, I saw they reacted to Charleston, and then I saw how they reacted to Philando um, Castile, and I've seen the difference. So the difference is 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 what annoys the fuck out of me. Um, and I, I think I, I've been watching my company, um, and I've been taking inventory of how they do respond to these these situations. And I will say they do a better job than most places. Because I've been at different agencies for all of those um, those uh, tragedies, and I've never seen a company of that size. There's clearly over 500 people who work there. Um, shut down, like on a, like my area didn't shut down, but the email went out saying, if you were feeling sad in this moment, come to this place. We're gonna do this at this time, um, like even a couple of weeks ago, right after uh, Trump, like after Trump was elected, there was basically like a therapy session, mm-hmm. like where they called in a yoga person and she was like trying to coach people through their emotions. Um, so I mean, they they do a good job at some things. I don't know. For me, I think it's it's more of a comfort thing. I like to look to my left and look to my right and see someone who looks like me and know that you feel what mm-hmm. I feel and that's just me but you know no I agree with that but I was more disappointed <coughs> in my own agency 
You said what? I was more disappointed in my own agency. I mean, the thing, in the article that we're going to reference is the post that Wyden Kennedy put on their homepage. It was a mm-hmm. stand that they took and acknowledging about black lives. When the shooting, not when the shooting happened, but when these events happened, it's also layers in with the Orlando shooting. And what my agency did was they did a whole email. They had something on the rooftop. They had their clients do say that, like, that they're going to do this work because um, some campaign in honor of the Orlando victims. Then these events happened and nothing happened. And we're a large organization. We do have a black business group. Nothing happened. No letter was sent out. No nothing. And it was like, oh my goodness, like we have a letter, we have an event, we have something for everything else, but this didn't happen. And it's not like it's an agency-wide thing. I think when this article came out and you see companies taking a stand, even using the hashtag Black Lives Matter, it's, it's politicized in, in the media. So mm-hmm. taking that stand, using that amount of courage, and hearing you guys saying that your agency did that, my agency didn't do anything. It was pretty much dead silent. There was another time that it was like this this year, and I, I can I just slipped my mind when the next event was, but this is when it got to me because it was like, I, there's not a lot of black people on my account. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of, you know, I can't look left to my right because everyone, I think one person spoke about it and they're like, isn't that crazy? And it's like, I really don't want to talk about it right now. But that level of support in comparison to what happened in Orlando, it was like nil, nil to nothing. Like, right. it was insane. I think there was a lot of that. What, I mean, I think we're used to being disappointed at this point um, with organizations and companies. But what we were able to see, like, on a positive side was organizations were taking a stand. Like I said, as an indirect result of that, um, my agency essentially started their their diversity uh, board where not just discussing the issues but discussing ways to provide solutions for now and down the road. I heard a lot of larger, even larger agencies like, uh, who was it, like Wyden Kennedy size that also held town halls and continue to hold town halls. I'm hearing a lot more people feeling more comfortable speaking to their leadership about this is actually what I need for you to do in moments like these because it's not just about me being a machine and doing the work. I can't do the work if I'm working at a, a subpar emotional level. So I need you to meet me in my human space. And then you see companies that you recognize all the time. Airbnb put together their um, Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. uh, internal movement or internal campaign. Facebook also uh, stood in solidarity um, with Black Lives Matter. So from there, and maybe not that it just started there, but the days or the weeks rather following, because the days following, everybody's like, you know, where's the support, but the weeks following and the months following support for tragedies and trauma at home became a priority for a lot more organizations that I had seen in the past. We also got, we also got some of our highest 
listens on or listened <laughs> on that episode. So we did. Shameless plug. We did. We did. But it was also our most raw at the time. And it was and it was something that I think we all felt very comfortable sharing, regardless of how, regardless of how we may have felt that somebody else was gonna internalize our message. Yeah. I think that um I think that it's good to to process like all of this and just sort of like in the end of the year space. Um, and it's interesting because we all know because of our work in the business that you know everybody has an agenda and everybody has a reason why they're doing one thing or another. Um, and so, when it comes for when it comes to the spaces that we work for, especially if we're in, if we're tasked with or we have taken on some sort of DNI role in that particular place, um, we expect before any of this happened, we expect it to be supported in at least that effort, mm-hmm. and then to not see any reaction or any care is one that could potentially make you wonder not just do you care about me but do you even care about these complete efforts that we're trying to do in the first place right um what happens with people who are outside of a particular situation in a way that they don't have to really empathize or identify with those who are suffering is that they could potentially silo in their mind that this is different from xyz and you can, in your place of business, advocate for breaking down those silos because it's actually those silos that could potentially be keeping companies from moving forward mm-hmm. from an inclusion space. Like, And then on top of that, it's important that agencies are hyper aware and ready and willing to react um, in a way that makes most sense for them, but actually hyper aware and w- ready and willing to react because this is part of what's going on in our culture mm-hmm. right now. 100%. And if yeah. agencies are supposed to be on top of and on the pulse of culture, you cannot be yep. without understanding what is driving culture right now. And this is an aspect of what's driving culture. The people who are engaging politically um, with their dollars, with their vote, with their understanding of their space and how they are valued in a particular area, whether it's in their community or their company or some combination of both. These are things that real people are dealing with right now in 2016 in a way that they didn't think that they would have to, that maybe their parents or their grandparents had paved that way for them and then all of a sudden they're in this space and they're shocked Mm -hmm. and so then what does that mean for the choices that they're going to make Mm -hmm. when you're talking about who you want to recruit into your business do you have a space that is one that's welcoming and inclusive in a way from the perspective of what consumers you want to talk to do you have a way of presenting yourself that is one that's inclusive and welcoming and actually not hypocritical because if I go peek behind the curtain, I realize that you actually didn't have anything to say about this particular matter that actually matters to me or my friends. Um, 
understanding the real interconnectedness of marginalized communities in the United States and their allies and how that could impact both recruitment and consumption habits and patterns. People who, um, I guess you call millennials, sure, but there's this real desire to buy and connect with brands, products, and services that are doing things that people care about. Mm -hmm. So you can't disconnect these things that are happening from what you actually do as a business and who you're actually trying to recruit and bring in. Disconnecting those things can be detrimental to your business. Now, morally and ethically, it's the right thing to do to care about your employees and to care about what could potentially be impacting them. But at the same time, there's also a a business need to do that as well. And so I always like to, with brands, with agencies, and just bringing it back to, well, who are you and who do you want to be? And are you really showing that to the world based on how you run your business? Right. And if you're not, then now it's too easy for people to call you on it. So you just need to keep it real. Which mostly leads us to the next point, right? Yeah, um, this is actually having clients, they're holding agencies um, to their standards. On this episode, we talked about General Mills and HP and Verizon. Um, Verizon doing a letter to their agencies, HP holding a standard where they wanted to prove, wanted their agencies to prove that their creative department was comprised of at least 50% women and 20% people of color. Um, This isn't, I mean... This is a new HP and General Mills. Uh, this was General Mills. Sorry if I misquoted. But um, this is actually interesting because they're now make clients are making this standard for agencies to prove their diversity numbers, and and it's at a time where I don't think agencies need to show their diversity numbers. It's I don't think it was ever legally mandated. It was highly suggested that can. Um, I believe it was between 2006 and 2008, and then numbers and quotas were met, and so therefore people were able to dial back on how much information they were shared. Or, I mean, that's one theory, and the other theory I have is that there was just a lack of interest. Um, But to me, like, all of these things, like everything that we had talked about up until this point, it was, and, and you said it a few, like, a few minutes ago, like, until the clients hold you accountable as an agency, what is the context for you to care? We talked about needing context to care last week or the last episode. Like, what is your context to care? And finally, the people that are out here with the billion-dollar budgets and the retainers and all of these things are finally saying, look, if you want to keep my business, this is what you need to do. Otherwise, or else. I think they kind of left it out there, or else. Like, we'll give it up for RFP or something. Um, but that's what was needed. Like yeah. it, it we're, if we're talking about protests, if we're talking about all the things we're doing now, it's not just an internal effort. You can't just preach to the choir. I can't tell the people I work with that we need more diverse people. Y'all see it. Y'all know. We also need the other variables outside of our personal environment to also help affect that change. So I think that was one of our like, hur- maybe not hooray moments. Um, because they didn't do it as petty as I'd like them to, but it was definitely one of it was definitely one of those stepping stones. Like you know what you you definitely get when I see you, you get a debt because 
that's what we need that's what we've been talking about that's the kind of uh monetary power that we needed somebody to be able to show because my life akai llc does not have enough money to shut down ynr or 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 omnicom or anybody like it has to come from big names like that and i think it's important to specify i think with diversity numbers you can skew them where the, you do have an agency that is diverse but they don't work in on the actual business and showing like oh, so you, you mean saying. not client facing right right or like not, well, not even just you're talking about like huh? like yeah, at ynr they'll they'll buy up smaller like at one point uh uh, uh, not diverse agencies. What were they called? Multicultural agencies mm-hmm. acquire them as their own, and that now accounts for your diversity. Um, but that's still not working on the piece of business. I yeah, it's, and I think it's even deeper than that. Even, it totally is. And like even I was talking about this with with um, an old older ex boss of mine that we were talking about diversity. And I'm like, it's one thing to have a diversity like movement or initiative at your agency, but when you see the people of color, where do you see them? Do you see them like in reception? Do you see them in security? Or do you see them every day working on your business day to day? And he was kind of like silent. I'm like, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, that's the diversity that the client is looking for as well, where it's diversity in work, diversity who's working on the work. You know, it's not only who's in the house, it's where are they in the house? Right, and so the point that you bring up that is, um, that's very true in the industry is that those who are advocates for diversity and inclusion have a very clear and often personal connection to it. Those who are open to it, but then maybe still aren't sure what to do or how to go or where to manage it mm-hmm. um, don't have that personal connection so it's hard for them to see it I'm not saying that that's right but it's it is what it is it is a fact <laughs> yeah. of life and so um, and so again I always go back to well, what is your vision who would you like to be mm-hmm. because if you ask that question and you ask that about people and you say well then what does that look like when you walk into a room or what does it feel like or what is the experience and it starts to become like you ask like projective questions like you would in a really awesome focus group that somebody (laughs) like me would lead (laughs) consulting (laughs) opportunities anybody um but you start to approach it and and I mean this is my point of view but I think that it's a really strong one that you have to approach it like you would anything mm-hmm. in this business. Um, you have to know your audience. You know, if I know that my audience, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, is someone who grew up, and this is this is probably very real across the industry. A lot of people have grown up in predominantly, perhaps white, maybe white communities where p- perhaps it was white males who were making most of the income and. Perhaps um, there were wives or other partners that made that might have worked, but maybe made less income or were stay-at-home moms and things like that. If that has been your entire 
experience and then also all the experience of your friends and like everything that you've ever done has been insulated Mm -hmm. then what makes us think that all of a sudden at 45 right even working in new york city that you're gonna automatically snap out of it it is a it's it's like living in a haze Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that it's up to us to prove our humanity or our integrity and i would never say that it is never up to you to prove your character your humanity or your reason for being as being worthy of being in any kind of space but you can always take it back to business like if there's something that you don't know you under you uh you overcome unknowing by educating yourself Mm -hmm. but there also has to be some responsibility with these particular managers to go seek that information for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a former colleague say to me, you know, well, just with all of these things going on, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. This um, woman who was well-meaning was white and had grown up in the situation that I explained. Mm -hmm. And, and she wanted me to explain to her how I felt and what I was going through and what this meant to me. And I told her, I'm not doing that. You can go and find this information out for yourself. And I have to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And I can't go there with my emotions with you because I don't owe it to you to go there, to take myself into that space when all you need to do is open a book or Google. It's not fair. I can talk to you about business all day long, but I'm not going there with you with my emotion. There are now um, white people who study whiteness and actually work towards uncovering it and identifying it and talking through it. There's a white privilege conference led by white people for white people to to dismantle what this is, to break down the concept, to look at all of the theories around it and how you begin to interrogate that in your own life Mm -hmm. and then how you can become a real ally. Mm -hmm. Um, So these things exist and I am grateful um, because there's some place where I can send people where they can find their own spaces, their own safe spaces in order to be able to begin to interrogate these things and then think about how they can bring them into the world. Um, but I just think that it's very important that because I, early in my career, I fell into that, Mm. like having to feel like I needed to explain myself or explain my humanity or my character or why I was worthy and valuable of having this kind of support within my company. But in order for me to take care of myself, Mm -hmm. self-care. I had to like rethink about the business. Like there is this business piece of this mm-hmm. whole thing that if you are determined that you're going to be the at the pulse of culture, if I'm going to trust as a client, trust you with hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in order to engage with my consumer, then how is it that you can present yourself as the expert if you have no sense of what's really going on right? and what really people are dealing with because then you can't really help. You can't really get get to a place where you can help my brand be the problem solver 
for people or groups and you don't really even know what they're really going through not everything is that serious like you know it might not be that serious for scrubbing bubbles for example you know but if we're going to talk about beauty and right. hair care this starts to be sailing if we're going to talk about fashion this starts to be a thing if we're talking about art we're talking about music we're talking about all the things that makes everything cool. Right. And we know... I mean, it's culture. It's culture. At the end of the day, it's culture. And if you're going to impact culture, then it should represent the... It should represent all your constituents, everybody that's paying money into this. So that makes sense. I think the best uh, part about all of this was the insider tea that started to come after that for those of us who have um hr and recruiting friends that it's a lot of people running around with like chickens without with their heads cut off because people are starting to demand numbers hp and general mills they were the vocal ones they were the big dogs they were the big boys wearing the superman capes but other companies started to go to agencies and requesting numbers and how embarrassing is it for somebody to be paying you and then all of a sudden they ask for receipts and you don't have any so again I'm sure there's more to come uh, from that next year um, but it was nice to see somebody else sweat for a change it was nice to see something else besides just the human resource um, to be affected but the business to, to your points Amber like businesses now have to rethink and re-present and position how inclusion fits into the overall structure of the business how this isn't just a line item on your tenants for the year but this is actually how it affects the bottom line i think that's, that's a great point because <clears throat> part of what's been missing and it's not really missing from the diversity conversation, but um, I've heard people or people who've been at the table during diversity conversations mention that the return on the investment um, is brought up at the table quite a bit. And there really isn't, there hasn't been an answer for it because how do you measure diversity? How do you measure, measure how that's, how do you how do you measure that in a long run if you're investing all this money into diversity? Like, how do you measure what um, what impact it's having on the business? Mm -hmm. And now, with the clients demanding diversity be present at the table um, on their business, contributing to their business, um, now you have the return on your investment. Like, because if you don't invest money in diversity and inclusion, make sure that you're not just hiring, but you're developing and retaining um, diverse talent, then there's a good chance you'll lose your clients. Well, I also think that um, even without the client demand, having <coughs> the management strategy in place that is one that takes into account diversity, but is primarily inclusive. And that is one that is measurable, that has um, lots that can be tracked against because that's historically the foundation of HR and operations management. And so 
there are key indicators and key measures that um, operations executives are looking for in order to ensure that they have streamlined labor as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely tied to um, overall the overall bottom line. And so for anybody to say, like, oh, well, you know, how does diversity specifically, you know, return on investment, et cetera, et cetera, I get that. I think as a one-off, it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I think that when you're looking at having a business that has a management strategy that is inclusive of all people, um, that is something that can be tied to larger business objectives and larger goals, regardless of whether a client is asking for it or not. It's just a matter of, is that, and I go back to the same question, is that who you want to be? Because there's some agencies that at this point, it's not really who they want to be. It's not really who they want to be, right. and it's not what they really care about. Exactly. So I wouldn't be interested in beating down their door and trying to beat their head into the ground and say, no, this is what you need to be. No, it's okay. But for those who do want that, they are the going to be the ones who are going to be ready and prepared and on the right side of history. Right. You know, but everybody has different goals. Again, if you've got a whole bunch of people at the top that are just figuring out how they can retire or buy their next business or start their own business or whatever it is, their priority isn't the future of that business. Right. That's and true. so if that it if it's not, then you're not going anywhere there. And I'll give you guys a slight example that I'll have a friend who I won't name, right? <laughs> okay. Um, and <laughs> this friend was having trouble at work. And he was thinking, because there were all of these, like, he was having all of these issues and he felt like he was being marginalized and set aside and underestimated um, because he was black. And there were all these things that were happening to him and he was having all of these pressures at it. And he's like, because I'm black, I'm never moving up. I'm never moving up and all this stuff. I said, okay, well, let's look at the facts because I'm a data person. So I want to see, well, let's look at the story and let's see what's really going on here because that could be a piece of it, but there's a larger issue. This is why I keep going back to management strategy. I said, let's do an exercise. Let's look at all the senior managers in your company on LinkedIn. And let's look at everybody who's moved up in the company, not people that they brought in from the outside. Let's look at all the senior level executives, people who have moved up. Where have they come from? They came from four departments, and it wasn't his. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter how smart he was. It didn't matter what he brought to the table. It didn't matter what he looked like, although that was impacting some of his experience. Even if he was white and male, he was going nowhere because he was in the wrong department. Was he creative by any chance? No. Okay. Different com- This is different industry. Different industry. What I'm saying is that there's a management strategy there. It's not, it's not necessarily one that's spoken and that everybody knows about it's not something that they publicize right but like you could you it is it was uncanny every person came from one of four places and he wasn't in that so it didn't matter what he did he wasn't going anywhere and so i'll say the same thing about 
diversity and inclusion and being incorporated in management strategy. If it's not a part of the overall management strategy, if you don't see the track, if you don't see it track up to mission, vision, objectives for the company, Mm -hmm. it's just a mess. Mm. That's a whole, right, that becomes like a whole other show, but no, that's real as hell. So, our last one is about your favorite person, sarcastically speaking. Um, It's the Trump effect on DNI. Can I say this? I had a realization the other day. Um, Actually, it was right around the time that I finished the last episode of Insecure. Um, Mm. And I was truly just devastated. I had felt like 2016 has done nothing to me but made me spend extra money on trips and alcohol to soothe my soul um, because I felt like I just couldn't get a win. And I took that personally in that damn episode personally. And what I realized is thinking about this show and like what we were planning to talk about today, I was really just looking for like a happy ending. I'm a sucker for happy endings. I like, well, sorry. Pause. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not that kind of happy ending. I'm a sucker for <laughs> Disney happy endings. I'm a sucker for fairy tales. I'm a sucker for things that make um things that make mean girls like me smile, right? Um and when I realized that based on the trajectory of everything we just discussed, all of the headlines we just discussed, all of the things that we had known in the past that 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 I might had have experienced in the past. There's literally no other way this could have turned out. And I don't mean that to be cynical. I mean that to say it wasn't an end. There was no end. Like an election is not an end. And I feel like that's how me personally I was considering it. So no, I don't necessarily put as much um weight on his ratchet ass that much I mean it's going to be it's going to be an interesting four years but the Trump effect is is a result of is a result of all this all of the headlines we just discussed if you have CEOs talking about raping women in the bathroom and thinking it's okay then of course the CEO of Trump Incorporated is going to think it's okay to grab women by the pussy. If you have um, an entire, if you have entire industries, rather, as inclusive of education, um, and, and, and inclusive of education, and I say that because I heard teachers talking about how they were instructed not to uh, address the things that were happening in the news that week of, that first week of uh, July when all that shit went down um that are completely ignoring the murder of 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 black bodies in the united states and how it's just put on the news and on the internet then of course he doesn't he thinks that all black people he can say all black people live in urban areas and they're poor and they're destitute and they're violent and they're raging and 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 say that muslims need to be contained of course he can say that and still win because we keep seeing these things happen in 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 micro uh, in micro experiences 
and I guess we forget about them two days after the story drops. But it was literally on the path. We were literally on the path for for this kind of uh, political change. It is a political change. It's a change from in politics from the apparent um, policy first to now it's culture first. And our culture, uh, although it may not be that way to many of us, our culture to a lot of people is accepting of discrimination, racism, sexism, um, and any other ageism and, and, and any other ism that might essentially affect you as a human. So I really had to sit with myself in that bottle of wine and like have this moment with myself to get there. So I think that one of the key things that you just said was that all of the points that we had on reviewing the year pointed toward the possibility of Trump happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you're saying, like being a sucker for a happy ending. Um, <laughs> See how that make you feel saying it. Having eight years of Obama, we expected more. Um, I think there is a positive side to to Trump, and if if the topic is the effect that Trump will have on DNI, I think that people in this industry who claim to be um, good white people, and I'll just use it as a very broad stroke um, term, or liberal, they got a wake-up call. And the wake-up call was that, damn, maybe we aren't as um, progressive, you know, far along with getting rid of racism as possible. Um, and I think, especially for white women, because they were the, the um, I don't want to say, they weren't the scapegoat, but the spotlight was definitely um, on them at the end of this election because so many, you know, it was almost like people expected white women to do what black people did for Obama, which is, I see you, I see your plight in life, <clears throat> I hear your message, your message is one that uh, resonates with me. Um, I want, not only do I want to see you win, but I'm confident in your ability to win. Mm -hmm. And a lot of white women did the opposite. Um, and I think that was a really big wake up call. It was um, for, for a lot of white women who thought that Hillary would take it. Um, you know, like you and I were texting, and I was, and I mentioned it during the last episode, I was really notch a lot during like those first couple of days because, you know, Dave Chappelle said it best, like, I know the whites. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I knew, I oh, knew what man. was capable of happening. Like, if you've ever been to the Midwest, you've been to the South, um, no, screw that. You don't even need to leave New York. You don't. If you just scroll through comments on Facebook, on articles about Trump or about Obama, then you know that this, you, you kind of knew that this was a possibility. But the positive thing is here, I think a lot of white people took inventory of their lives, of the people in their lives, um, of how they contribute to diversity issues, whether uh, explicitly or, or, you know, by accident, um, I, and I think that's going to. I think we're going to see 
some change happened because of that because they didn't see it coming um while many like everyone in this room is of color and we've been of color all our lives we knew that this was a possibility for those who've been living in the bubble this was completely out of left field how dare you america and let's be clear um <coughs> some some of us of color and not us in this room but in general do not necessarily identify with with uh these thoughts that we're speaking that a, a, a large mass of people of color feel like I'll, I'll take into account um one of as you know i like to speak to like the afro latino experience and a lot of Af a lot of latino people regardless of how close to their skin tone of the skin tone of mind that they are will identify as white when they are asked to choose between race and ethnicity and a lot of those people generally consider themselves to be more conservative um what was interesting to me during this election was to see you know a lot of the what, what my mother what sonia would call the white hispanics um that would generally vote republican how completely appalled they were and like just switched their parties like I think Anna Navarro was a great on CNN. She was a correspondent during the election on CNN. Was a great example of being able to identify to that level of whiteness in the United States and having these conservative principles. And not saying that anything is wrong with that, but for so long, uh, aligning yourselves with those ideals where other people of of color, more darker color, felt ostracized by that group now all of a sudden you're they were you know it was it was so traumatic that you had to align or you felt the need to align yourself with the plight of people that were not rich white males in america essentially so um it wasn't it wasn't just us on both sides like there were a lot of there were a lot of people of color that voted for trump not a handful, but there were a lot more people that had identified with the idea of whiteness in America for so long that finally, not maybe not finally, but at this point recognized their otherness. And that recognizing that otherness allowed more people to take inventory of their lives and their ideals and recognizing that maybe we really aren't all, even if we are created equally, even if we're all created equally, we're not all treated equally. And that was definitely something that came, a theme that, that carried itself through this election. One thing, um, one thing with the election that was interesting to me was that I've never considered myself a feminist because, not because I don't believe in equal rights for men and women, but because I never felt included in that movement. I always looked at that as a movement that was centered around middle-class white women, and that was from my experience in reading and my education and then just my experience in the workforce in general. And I think that that also played out in the election and that for me to not necessarily feel included 
however, still voting for Hillary, but then also realizing that that sort of lens of feminism centering white middle-class women also um, could have potentially left out white affluent women mm-hmm. and also white poor women as well. Um, and how perhaps that centering leaves a lot smaller of a coalition than perhaps um, was thought. I also question the polling because I'm also a researcher. Mm-hmm. And so there was so many, there were all of these polls that um, had um, Clinton and Trump sort of neck and neck <coughs> in spaces where he ended up blowing her out in certain counties. And so as a researcher, I have to ask, was anybody asking questions to kind of get around the issue of self-protection? Because people will do that when they're answering surveys or when they're doing research. Like they don't want oh, to I see what you're saying. They don't want to admit I'm necessarily that I'm voting for Trump because that may make them seem like they're whatever. Mhm. Or they want to self-protect against that, even with an anonymous person that they're talking to on the phone. Mm -hmm. But there are questions that you can ask that can help to get around self-protection type issues to help you figure out whether somebody is telling the truth or not. And that's not even anything you repeat back to them, but that is something that you record, that you can figure out whether or not there is sort of this latent group that could be voting. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think there were probably a small sect of researchers that kind of saw that and that they were actually reporting that. But I think some of their reporting was getting smothered by, oh, Hillary's neck and neck. So I'm like, well, who is, who's asking the questions and what kinds of questions are they asking? Because that, that impacts not just polling, political political polling but research in general whenever we're talking about people talking to people and really trying to understand um, where they sit or where they're really coming from like what kind of questions are we asking so I thought that was important I also think that um, going back to Simeon's point that the fact that Trump got elected I think is a wake up call for a lot of people who have lived in some sort of bubble I grew up in the South. Um, I grew up between Texas and North Carolina and I've lived in different parts of the country as an adult. And the thing that was always striking to me is how I felt many times that, you know, some of my, my, some of my white colleagues who were up North working were discriminated against by white colleagues who were from the North saying that they were stupid or they must be racist or whatever so there is this like sort of cloud of sort of white northerners who might look down on white southerners as not being as enlightened or as smart or as bright or have as much to contribute while northern cities are the most um, segregated cities in the United States while southern cities are more integrated um and then the relationships are different uh, across cultures and things like that. So I think that you can't just, I'm hoping that 
the country is waking up to realize, you know, just looking down on one group or another and not really looking at yourself is something that actually won't get you anywhere and won't bring any progress. And then um, lastly, I would say that I hope that people who are stunned by this moment, um, younger people, and even, you know, people like me, because I'm still kind of young, and I had to really talk to my mother who has her master's degree and has never been to an integrated school. And when she went away, she graduated college in 67. She went to the Peace Corps for two years. When she left, she had to go through the back door of the movie theater and go to the balcony to watch a movie. When she came back, she could go through the front door, but was scared to do it. Mm. I'm That's intense, one yeah. generation off of that. And so I think for for young people who might not have access to some of their older family members or older people in their lives, I, I would encourage them to really talk to them and reach back because you might find a lot of strength and spiritual courage in realizing that we have definitely been through worse times. Right. And that we can continue to move forward and we can be all right. Definitely. So we got at the end of our episode, we'd like to end with next steps. I think the next steps is kind of what we should take for 2016 since this is the last episode. Like, what can we do in our work lives? What can we do in our personal lives? You know, with all these events, we're taking all these events, we're taking the baggage from all these events into next year. So, what can we do to not become bag ladies or bag men into next year? I even want to know what we see are like trends for 2017 like what do we see on the horizon I don't I think we yeah like we've had a lot of prep work like what's to come where do we go from here uh. <laughs> I mean for me, I think the trends of have already started to present themselves in the way that people are responding to this election because this election is basically going to be top of mind for at least the next six months because the two goes in in January um, and pretty much every day after that um, is just going to it's going to be a shit show let's just put it that way um, and I think as marketers um, and advertising people and creatives who have to respond to culture. Um, the culture now is is it's becoming more divided, right? Like this is just it's just what's happening. Um, people who felt slighted and and unheard of before, um, especially those who lean more toward the side of hate based off of skin tone and ethnic group feel empowered and so um, the division is going to be more real um, as marketers our job is to especially if you work in a general market um, your job is to speak to all people so the trend um, is going to be unity um, and how do marketers bring people together um, through the things that we create um, and the 
everything that we activate around. And I think you're already starting to see it with like um, the holiday spot that Amazon just put out, right. which has the, and I don't want to fuck this up, but um, the, the, priest. the priest, uh of two different faiths. I don't know what they are off the top of my head. But um, that spot where you see these these faiths, one of them is a Muslim faith, which mm-hmm. is extremely like polarizing in uh, America right now. So you, you're starting to see that happen. But then they have the commonality. Right. Um, they thought of the same gift. Yeah. So you're, you're going to see more of, of that because if you're a strategist, like, and you start digging and you, you, you're, you're pulling out like, well, what's the raw truth? Like, what are those things that we can um, use to hit people on a human level? Um, I think we're going to see more of that. Me personally, for next steps, um, it goes to uh, Amber's dead horse. Uh, like, I think, you know, the last episode we talked about um, what can all of us do to um, be activists or activate um, our causes, um, whether in the workplace or in the community. And um, like, I'm actually now curious to know, like, what is the overall uh, business plan for diversity at my agency? So I'm 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 part of the employee resource group for um, Black employees, and I've been at the table when you're discussing um, recruitment and retention, but I don't remember hearing that, uh, you know, that the key piece of information, which is what are we, what are we actually trying to solve here? Like what, like what is our vision? What do we want our profile to be? Um, where do we see ourselves a year from now? Like, what don't we like about ourselves? And I think that was actually one of the key questions that I asked um, the last time I was at the table, and I never really got a response. Which is, what don't you like? Like, what? Like, where? Where do you find fault in self? Uh, and I think whether it's we're talking about diversity issues or how we can all um, use our influence and power to move forward, whether that's through a hundred people in your Facebook feed or you know a bigger platform it's like figuring out where do you where do you find fault with self and how do you um, use that discovery to do something that can affect change yeah um, and I just uh, I mean it's just an easy way to meet for me to segue back into sort of Ty's question where you're talking about where do we go from here and then also thinking about trends in the industry. So I'll, I'll start with where do we go from here. Um, for me, um, again, beating that dead horse. Um, I mean, I diversity and inclusion, like it can be all warm and fuzzy and cute in like posters and you got all these faces and it's like, oh, look at that brown face. United like, colors look at of that. Benetton. Right, it's just a Benetton ad, but like, no, moving forward, what everyone in this space needs to do is to, for every, for every agency, for every company that says that this is our priority, what needs to happen is to really understand from an overall management strategy, and we're talking about operations, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be inclusive? 
What does that look like? How is it funded? How is it supported? How is it accountable to the overall mission and vision of the organization? If it is just this one thing that's just hanging out on the side, it's not going to have any long-term impact. Mm -hmm. Also, it's very challenging to measure something and its effect on the long-term business unless it's incorporated. And so that's definitely something that needs to be done. And then um, from the perspective of trends, I think the industry really definitely needs to focus on from a management pers- per, a management strategy perspective how they're going to deal with retention and development. Um, it is very challenging to a- attract um, people from diverse backgrounds into an organization where they don't see anyone who looks like them in a senior level role. It's very it's very challenging. And it's not a slight against um, predominantly white male managers who might actually have a heart for developing people of all backgrounds and faiths, for example. But how do we begin to think about how we incorporate the people that we have at the next level? What sorts of management strategy needs to be in place to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, What sorts of projects and activities and focus and leadership development needs to happen as a result, um, which is a question um, for operations, which goes down into HR, which can ladder out into the agency. Um, I also want to encourage those who are, or who have the wherewithal into entrepreneurship in the industry as well. I think um, sort of the next trend that's gonna be popping up next year and over the years is going to be really a supplier diversity push um, and just really having people who do who have a very special skill to really have an opportunity to um, grow their businesses in this particular area we're still very much underrepresented as owners Mm -hmm. um, and not just owners of companies but owners of our own art and our own culture and things that we create and they are actually very profitable things so we should work on monetizing our own culture and um being in control of that so. to protect the culture guys i mean uh, that's that's a great point um i don't i'm actually i feel like my blue is coming back right now to see but um that idea of, of monetizing the culture i feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough especially when we're looking at um, social media and where we see how things take off from the this mysterious thing we call black Twitter or black Instagram we see especially black teams like creating these things that just become phenomenal like mannequin challenges where all of a sudden something that was started by like people who are virtually ignored mm-hmm. on a daily basis um, make their way to the locker rooms of top tier teams and in every sport but when it comes to hiring like we can't find those people so I think that's like a great point it's like how do we make sure that we're not just hiring those people um, but we're we're um, 
giving their art the equity that it deserves. Oh, yeah. I saw, I mean, I've seen some, like, really interesting work. Um, this was last year, but there was a couple that was, and I felt kind of bad for them, but they seemed to be in on a joke. There was a couple that was making their way around Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and the gentleman, it was a black couple, the gentleman had on a brown sort of brim hat, and he had on a brown pants, and he had brown suspenders and a brown sort of button-up coat, and his girlfriend or wife had on sort of a green dress that was reminiscent of an era gone by, and they were dressed up, ready for a party. I don't know if you all remember seeing this. I think this. I vaguely remember this. <coughs> mm -mm. But that particular picture, once people got their hands on it, it became this running joke that had some of the best copy yes. and some of the I best creative yes. that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, talking about, what what was it? It was like five cents for the party because it was mm. like, you know, a hoedown and a you know, it was just, but it was just like, it was one of those things where it would, it just got so much traction and it was just circulating around. And I was like, wow, people are really creative and they were really Photoshopping and it was just really amazing. And I knew one of the people was like 15 mm -hmm. and I was like, well, how can we create spaces where we can harness some of this creativity and help? motivate and push people towards like a way of knowing like oh well, here's a career for you right. and here's an opportunity so I think there's also that's also something that you know agencies can step in mm -hmm. and help support that as well like where are you cultivating talent and like right. how is it that they they can actually benefit from their art and then you can be on top of culture because wow you found them mm -hmm. like aren't you amazing I'd like to see, um, well, what I actually foresee for 2017. Um, earlier in the year, I talked about how I read an article and, and I had had conversations with people about how uh, the best way to target um, your consumers is by appealing to the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, uh, appealing appealing to the things that that they are for, and I mean in the sense of um, a lot of people recycle. So if your company is not sustainable, then they really don't want to mess with you. And how that became really important to play into people's um, values value systems that they had created, and and that they stand just by their value systems. How I see that evolving in 2017 is the idea of consumer activism. And I feel um, it could possibly go negative, but it, in a positive way, I can see that more brands and um, hopefully more businesses outside of just being brands are going to take a step towards acting on behalf of their consumers. Obviously, the bottom line is to get them to spend more money with you. But I do feel that consumer activism will pay a, play a bigger role um, in at marketing and advertising in 2017, specifically as it relates to culture. Um, 
we heard a lot of, I mean, I've heard a lot of people just since our conversation say, you know, things just feel different. It feels diff- different. There's something about what's going on. And it's a culture shift that we have right now. Um, and I'm not saying that things are going to change for the better, but they, de- they damn sure are changing. So with that, with that being the trajectory, culture is going, culture for me is going to become the, the center point for what we're doing, not just appeasing people, but actively helping to shift their culture in the direction which they want to go. What I hope to see, which, um, I mean, I don't have that many things, that many great things to say about uh, the Trump campaign this past year, but I did notice, which is something that we've talked about before, the difference, the difference between general market marketing and um, multicultural or segment segmented marketing, where I dare say the the for the Clinton campaign, it was I want to preach the word that we all feel to everybody, and we'll just make it fit into small boxes. We all want to change, or we all want to create change. So, women, this is what that means for you, and. Uh, people of color, this is what that means for you, and um, so and and religious people, this is what it means for you. But what seemed to have worked for the Trump campaign was the ability to speak to the smaller nuances for groups that we didn't even consider before because they're not a part of the general market. They're not a part of the mainstream. And I felt that by being able to break down the to your point about feminism and how when you look at the grand scheme of things, sure, feminism seems like something every woman wants, but when you break it down, feminism doesn't necessarily speak to poor poor white women or rich white women. And actually having separate messages or separate strategies for each of those groups may have been more effective in garnering their votes, attention, and loyalty than just imposing your thoughts on the bigger group. I think that I hope in a positive way that's something that agents that companies and brand agencies and brands are able to take away from what happened this past year because there's something to be said about what works for Paul may not necessarily work for Peter and if you want to get Peter and Paul then you may need to speak to both of them separately. Um because I don't think a lot of people picked up on that, but that's definitely that's definitely something that we need to discuss, that you need to be specific with your audience. Right. And there's enough data out there now that you can do it. Right. There sure is enough data now. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's been a long year, but we hope for the best for next year. I mean, we have good takeaways, we have good learnings. Um, as always, you can reach us at askmixcompany at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-M-I-X-E-D-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y. I want to thank Dr. Amber Shanavert for coming. With yes. Thank you, Randall. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Like I enjoyed sleepover, it. like a sleepover, basically. It's all late. <laughs> right. You can follow us on Twitter and as well as our Instagram accounts. We're on Instagram as Mothra New York, but on Twitter we are under Mixed Company, Ask Mixed Company, right? All right.
until next time, bye y'all. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy, Year, Merry Happy Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, 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 all the things that y'all celebrate. Peace out. Thanks for listening.